0: Well, good morning, church. If you are new to True North Church, you uh, notice, obviously, the Advent. candle burning this morning and Mike reading uh, a Scripture in preparation for Advent. The first four weeks, or I should say the four weeks before Christmas, are set aside as a time of expectant waiting in preparation for the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. The term Advent is a, is, comes from a Latin word that means Coming. And so we remember the longing and the anticipation of the coming of Jesus a little over 2,000 years ago, the waiting for the Messiah, and then he arrived. It was celebrated. We've been celebrating ever since. But part of Advent is also the coming of Jesus Christ again. So we celebrate the coming of Jesus the first time, and we look forward to the coming of Jesus again. That is what Advent is about. And so we look forward to that, and over the next three weeks, We will continue to burn the Advent candles and read Scripture and with anticipation for what Christ has to bring. Well, just as we are are longing for the coming of Jesus, of all the holidays, this holiday is probably the holiday in which we really long for. I mean, there are calendars for Christmas. Some of you probably have one, maybe two in your house. You have the countdown going. I remember as a kid, it was the, the little paper mache um, chains that you would make. You would rip one off. And I mean, now we we have them all over our houses. No other holiday is like this. There's no kind of anticipation, I don't think, for the 4th of July. uh, No calendars that I'm aware of. But there is for this one. And it becomes pretty special, right? Well, along with it, there are movies and sayings and quotes. And there was something I ran across um, that you've certainly heard of the phrase, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Now, if you don't know the meaning behind that phrase or where it came from, it came from an editorial written by Francis Farsalist Church, and it was entitled, Is There a Santa Claus? This editorial was written in response to a little eight-year-old girl by the name of Virginia O'Hanlon, and she wanted to know, is Santa Claus for real? So she wrote into the paper, and the editor published this. It was in The Sun. It was a New York paper published in September 21st, 1897. So as you may know, this whole editorial then has become a phrase used in movies, in books, children's books, different sayings. Well, this was the original letter, not this here, but, well, it might have been, I don't know. But this original letter came back in 1897. Let me read to you what Virginia wrote to the editor. Dear editor, I am eight years old, Some of my little friends say that there's no Santa Claus. Papa says, if you see it in the sun, that newspaper, it is so. So please tell the truth. Is there a Santa Claus? Oh boy, the world hinges on this answer, right? Well, as Papa says, if it's in the newspaper or today, if it's on the internet, it's got to be true, right? Well, the reply began like this. Virginia, your little friends are saying they have been affected by the skepticism of a skeptical age. They do not believe except what they see. They think that nothing can be which is not comprehensible by their little minds. I'm sure a little eight year old was like, What did he say? When I looked at that and I was reading the letter and I read through it, I began to realize that many of us often feel the same way with God. We ask that question is there a God? Does God exist? Because when you look around the world and you see all that is going on in this world, there are probably moments when you see the pain and the wars and the natural disasters. You see conflict and death and hatred. And you can only wonder, is there a God? For those who have never been to church before, they hear that God is love, but then they don't see love, so they say, well, then is God real? I mean, if there is truly a God, why would He allow all this? And it's not just the horrific events that catch us off guard and cause us to wonder, is there a God? It's the little moments in life when we face disappointment. Think about disappointment that emotion that probably all of us, if not all of us, most of us will experience during the holidays. And yet, we become disappointed at all kinds of things in our gatherings, in people. It may be family members, things we did not get, things we did not give. The weather, I was hoping for a white Christmas. You know, there's all kinds of these things that we get disappointed in. So when this comes along and we feel disappointed, it's like, I don't want to feel this way at this time of the year. I'm discouraged. I'm disappointed. Can somebody come along and just, just take this away from me? You're not the only ones that want a disappointment removed. Open up your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Mike read this morning for our our call to worship in the Advent reading from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And we'll read that again. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 9 of the book of Isaiah, it says this, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future where Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. The people this time, they were facing incredible disappointment. Described as, as this darkness and despair. And so we, we see this and it's like, yeah, darkness, despair. Well, disappointment fits right in there with it. So, so when will this future hope come? When will, when will darkness and disparity be gone and, and disappointment wiped out? When will, we, when will we have this hope? When can we rejoice? And we just sang in the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. In the song... If you, if you think about this, when you're singing, it, it seems like such a slow, melancholy song. It's like, oh, come, oh, come. You know, you almost start to melt when you're standing there, right? And, and you read through, and there's, there's words of disappointment, desperation. And every verse describes it, and I'll show you that in just a second. But after each verse comes what? Rejoice. Rejoice. So it's almost like disparity, disappointment. I hear you, but rejoice. Emmanuel, God with us. There's a reason that we find hope. The coming of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago and the future coming of Jesus Christ, in which we don't know when, but he's coming, we find that word come all throughout Scripture. And not just in this song, oh, come, oh, come. You look to the Old Testament, you'll see this same word, this same cry used in the crying for a Messiah. In the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, this prophet, hundreds of years before Jesus Christ was ever born, wrote this. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrath, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come, there it is, from you on my behalf. We, were, uh, we spent time with my family yesterday for Christmas, and so there's 95 in my immediate family. About two-thirds of them were there yesterday. And at our table, my brother set this up. So mom and all the siblings and their spouses were all at one table. Usually we just sit in our little clans, right? Well, no, we're all sitting around so we can have this discussion as family. And all everybody else is all on the other tables. And my uncle was sitting at the table with us. He's 89, and he, he leans over in our meeting, and he looks at me and goes, What prophet? Hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Describe the exact location where Jesus would be born. Now, this is a man who who's grew, up, grew up in the South, and, and if you know think about Bob Jones University, he was an avid person of Bob Jones University and, and deep into God's Word and studies. And I looked at him, I go, Uncle Jim, that would be Micah. He goes, That's right, Micah 5 2. Thank you. Now, I only knew that because I was preparing for the sermon today. So I probably would have said, Isaiah? I don't know. I just, I'm just trying to eat my peanut butter pie. Please let me alone. But as we had this discussion, you know, and I'm sitting there looking at this, I'm, and it, it sunk in a little bit more. In between bites, I'm thinking, you know, that is so incredible. Hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, they were crying out, "Come, please come. We need the Messiah to come." And the prophet's like, "He will be coming, and he will be born in this small little village that nobody's ever heard of called Bethlehem." And then hundreds of years later. It came to fruition. He did come. And he won the war with evil. And he left earth then and ascended to heaven and said, I will come back again. That's why Advent is so special. Because we celebrate the first coming of Jesus and we look forward to his next coming. And as a Christian, that's what we look forward to because we know that although Christ defeated sin and death on the cross, we still have to deal with it today. So we still deal with disappointment in the midst of the fact that he did give us an answer, and that was a great answer. And in these moments of, of waiting and, and wondering, I'll admit there are times it's like, Jesus, you can come back anytime, right? I go back to Abraham and Isaac. When Abraham was promised this great nation that through Abraham's line, Jesus would come. And as Abraham is taking his son, Isaac, his only son, through which Jesus is going to come, and he's about ready to sacrifice him, because God told him to, as he's about ready to put the knife down, God says, "Stop, You've been obedient to me, thank you. The sacrifice you're looking for is over in the thickets, and over in the thickets was a ram, and they brought the ram on. at that point in time Abraham said, "God, you are yada yre, which is God provides. It's like He gave God a new name. Because see, God does provide. And as we cry out and we long and, and wait, it's like, God, can you please take away the disappointment? God's like, I will provide. I've been providing and I will continue to provide. And so just as maybe the editor was saying, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. From scripture, I get a, yes, Rex, there is a God. And I can find hope. I think we can honestly say that when we look to the Christmas season, we do hope for something special. Some people call it the Christmas magic, right? But we hope that for people that are hurting, that they'll find healing. We, we, we hope for some kind of miracle or change in a relationship or a newfound joy, something that comes along. So we just want hope to be made real during this season. So we placed a great deal into this season knowing that disappointment, which is really the nemesis of hope, is just lingering right around the corner, just waiting to snatch away that moment. Like, finally, no disappointment. It's like, uh, but it's probably right around the corner. I know it's coming, right? Broken heart, unfulfilled joy, wrong present. Something's going to happen. Pain of bad news. I know it's probably going to occur because that's the way the emotions are of this holiday. It just happens. But why not? Because we've sort of been set up, you know. We have been. Because we've been told it's the most wonderful time of the year. We sing about it. So it's like, what is? I mean, it's got to be the most wonderful time of the year. All the songs, all the advertisements make us believe it. There's, there's push and hype. The emotions are, are really pushed forward. Tis the season to be jolly. See, you already knew this is the season to be jolly. It's not the season to be disappointed. So we expect happiness. We expect the jolly attitude. We expect all these things. And of course, um, it doesn't come, right? We expect peace back in World War 1 1914 is at Christmas the British forces and the German troops were at each other they were in their trenches and as the story goes they heard in the evening from one trench to the other trench, they heard singing of songs. They they saw these little fir trees that got put up, and then the messages were beginning to be shouted back and forth across the trenches. And the following day, the British and German soldiers came out into the middle of the field. They put down their weapons, they played soccer, they they had time to just laugh with each other, they took photographs, um, they exchanged gifts. It was like it was a beautiful moment during World War One that a lot of people don't know about, right? And so today, this is what we expect no more war. We just want peace, especially at home, right? And besides the peace and the happiness, we expect perfection, don't we? We expect every single light to work. None of them are going to burn out. Bulbs are not going to get broken. We expect perfection in the kitchen Nobody's going to burn cookies. Nobody's going to have lumpy mashed potatoes. I mean, it's all going to come out just perfect. We expect that all the gifts on the list to be checked off and to receive all that we were supposed to receive. Boy, this is a big setup for what? Disappointment, right? I mean, it's, there's all these things. And so you, you toss in the Christmas newsletters. Oh, look at their family. Oh, I wish we could take a family picture like that. Oh, look at the good things they got to do. I wish we did things like that. And it's like, you do know these, the letter's been edited. They didn't put in all the stuff. And you do know this was probably the four or five pictures and they used a different filter. We all know that, right? But yet, when we look at that, we compare to ours. So disappointment is there. But can I just tell you something? Disappointment's always been there. Go back to Mary and Joseph, where, where the Christmas story began. We know it probably began way before that, right? But with Mary and Joseph, here's a teenage girl. According, according to uh, the culture in that time, girls were getting engaged as early as 13 14 years old so it's most likely Mary was probably engaged at age 14 to Joseph and at, and at that teenage years you know they have this idea of a couple of years down the road when we do get married or when we come together or when it might be you know but they're they're already uh coming together and it's like i'm going to have a baby uh, can you imagine girls 14 15 years old and you have an angel appearing to you saying one you're going to have a baby and you're like First, you've you know, you got the angel thing, and then it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm too young. I, uh, and then it's like, oh, by the way, you're going to have Jesus, the Messiah, the perfect child of God. Guess who gets to be the mom? I'm not qualified. I'm a teenage girl, right? And, and meanwhile, Joseph, he's got to deal with the, how did you get pregnant? And what is going on here? I'm going to be the laughing uh, a stock of the whole, the whole village. Everybody's going to be making fun of me now. And I'm, I'm just going to have to put you aside. I mean, I, I can't marry you. But he, the angel comes to him, too, and says, this is legit. This is the Son of God, and you need to take Mary. And, and I'm, obviously, I'm paraphrasing all this. But then, they, as they come together, it's like, okay, we're going to start this life out new. Oh, by the way, we're not going to have a nursery to fix up. We're not going to have a, a nice little hospital to deliver the baby in. We're going to be traveling And you're going to be in pain. And you're going to have your baby in a stranger's stable. You talk about disappointment from the very beginning. It's right there in the story of Jesus with this promised Messiah. No big wedding. Can you imagine? I mean, where where was the wedding? Two weddings took place uh, December 2020 during COVID that I'll never forget. One was my son who... They had this, these big plans to get married in December, and they had 250 invites ready to go out. And then they're like, "Oh no, um, the, the the place where they're having it, according to COVID rules, 125." Okay, well oh, then it had to come down to wedding party only, and just immediate family. Not even my family could come, and so that was my son's wedding, and he missed out. Like, meanwhile, all of his friends, you know, they were like having these weddings, and it was like family and friends, church members, come on over. And my son didn't get that. But then like two weeks later, another couple got married right here in this church. And actually, one of them had COVID. And so it was just the couple and their immediate family only. That was it. Oh, in the parking lot, there's about 20 cars out there honking their horns. But they didn't get the wedding like anybody else. And I think of how disappointing for both couples and any other couples that face that. But Mary and Joseph, they they didn't have a wedding like that. How do we face this? How do we deal with disappointment? Can I remind you, first of all, this? Let's remember that the reality of life, uh, and let's let's guard against false expectations. This is not a hallmark Hollywood uh, Disney life that we all live, okay? There's not always happy endings and so forth and so on. So just guard against false expectations. Second thing I would say is this, uh, make sure you are not fixating on the disappointment. Leave it in the rearview mirror. Instead, remember the faithfulness of God. Look forward to what he has promised. Just as Mary looked at that angel and she's saying, how can it be? Her response to the angel was this. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. She's like, this is like, I don't know whether to be excited or disappointed, but may everything you say be true. I trust you. And when disappointment comes our way, Maybe that's the way we face it as well. God, you are a faithful God. I'm going to trust you. May it come true. Rejoice, rejoice, because God, you're, you're going to be with me through this, right? Let's go back to the song, Oh Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I want to point some things out in the song. In this song, it always starts out with this, Oh Come, because there's that longing again, that comes, please come, please come, right? But then you're going to see a, an attribute of God, which we'll mention here in a little bit. And then you're going to also see in every stanza something disappointing. Look at the first, the first stanza. Ransom, what? Captive Israel. They've been taken captive. That mourns in lonely exile here. Look at the second stanza under, O come thou rod of Jesse. Free what? Thine own from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell th- thy people save. When you get to the next stanza, it says what? Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put in flight. The last stanza make safe the way that leads on high, and what close the path to misery. Every stanza, there's actually seven stanzas. We sang three this morning. Um, some of them, we, these up here, we did not sing. But there's seven stanzas, each one speaking to the attributes of God. Then leads to worship, because then we can worship God, saying, "Oh come, oh come, Emmanuel, Rod of Jesse." Whatever the whatever the attribute of God was, it was. I'm going to speak to this attribute of God that's going to help me deal with this dark situation or disappointing moment. And then we read this, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Matthew 1.23 tells this. It says, what name are we supposed to give this baby? Call him Emmanuel. God with us. Now that comes from the prophet Isaiah 7.14, who hundreds of years earlier said, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. You will call him Emmanuel. Now, if you're looking at the Emmanuel, you say, wait, there's an I and there's an E. So the slight spelling difference has to do with the transcribing of the original Hebrew to Greek. So don't let it fool you or don't let it scare you. It's the same word. The point is this first stanza is it points to the truth of Scripture is what I love about this song. We live in this world filled with disappointment. And each stanza highlights that darkness, that, that, that disappointment, whatever it may be, that pain. But then the, the exciting part, the rescuing takes place with the coming of our Emmanuel. So whatever that disappointment or dark scene is in each of these stanzas, it's what? Rejoice. Rejoice. Why? Because Emmanuel, God with us. God has seen our disappointment. God sees our misery. He even told the children of Israel back in the book of Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, the Lord said, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of dark, or distress because of the harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of the suffering. God's aware of it. God has seen each and every one of your disappointments. Every one. Every dark moment you have had, God has seen it. And he looks at you and he says, I've seen it. That's why I sent my son. The first coming to rescue you. The second coming to take you home. In the book of Hebrews chapter two, if you want to turn to your can, I'm going to read some of this scripture. Some good background here I want to read about this. Starting in verse nine of chapter two, it says this. So now Jesus And the ones he makes holy have the same father. He's talking about us. That's why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God has given me. Look at verse 14. Because God's children are human beings, that's us, Made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. God became flesh, that's Jesus Christ. For only as a human being could he die. Only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death." Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. See, Jesus came to rescue us. Scriptures like this point to truth, reminding us that he came to save us. He came to rescue us. Only by dying on the cross and coming back to life through resurrection are we able to be saved. His death obviously first appeared uh, pretty, pretty sad, right? But then when he resurrected, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He just beat death. He just beats sin. He is victorious, and His Spirit resides in us. We no longer have sorrow. It's been replaced with hope and joy. Even before Jesus left, he looked at His disciples, and He said in John chapter 16, verse 22, He said this, So you have sorrow now? Of course you do. You're going to see me hanging on a cross. You're going to be crying. I'm going to be buried. You're going to be crying. He goes this, but I'll see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. Oh, the story shows Grinch crawling in and stealing everybody's presents and everybody's trees and everybody's decoration, right? Okay, but the real story is right here. The devil cannot rob you of the joy that God gives. He cannot steal away the life eternal that he has given you. No one, no thing, no lack of things. The hope and the joy God gives us is eternal and internal. Thanks to him, you own it. His spirit indwells you. Fills you with life. So when you're overwhelmed with disappointment, let's pray to God, who is bigger than disappointment, who is bigger than we know, bigger than we understand. Let's pray to him and ask for his help in these moments. In the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the plea for Jesus to come, as I said, is followed by rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel, God is with us. That song reminds me so much of the disappointments and darkness that we have in life, but that we have a Savior is just as real as the disappointments. And He is bigger than all those things. So for fun, I decided I'm going to get that letter from the editor from the Sun, and I'm going to go through the editor's reply and read it to you. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to remove the word Santa, and I'm going to put God in there. Listen to the reply, if you would. If I were to say, hey, Rex, is God real? Is there a God? Here's the reply from the editor, if I were to switch those words out. Virginia, your little friends are wrong. They've been affected by the skepticism of a skeptical age. They do not believe except what they see. They think that nothing can be which is not comprehensible by their their minds. All minds, Virginia... Whether they be men's or children's, are little. In this great universe of ours, man is, is a mere insect and ant, and his intellect, as compared with the boundless world about him, as measured by the intelligence capable of grasping the whole truth of knowledge. Yes, Virginia, there is a God. He exists as certainly as love and generosity and devotion exist, and you know that they abound and give to our life in its highest beauty and joy. Alas. How dreary this world would be if there were no God. It would be as dreary as if there were no Virginias. There would be no childlike faith, no poetry, romance to make tolerable the existence. We should have no enjoyment except in sense and sight. And the eternal light which childhood fills the world would be extinguished. Not believe in God? You might as well not believe in fairies. You might get your papa to hire men to watch all the chimneys at Christmas Eve to catch God. But even if they did not see God coming down, what would that prove? Nobody sees God. But that is no sign that there is no God. The most real things in the world are those that neither children nor men can see. Did you ever see fairies dancing on the lawn? Of course not. But that's no proof that they're not there. Nobody can conceive or imagine all the wonders that are unseen and unseeable in the world. You tear apart a baby's rattle and you see what makes the noise inside. But there's a veil covering the unseen world which the strongest man or even the united strength of all the strongest men ever lived could tear apart. Only faith, poetry, love, romance can push aside the curtain and view the picture of the supernatural beauty and the glory beyond. Is it all real? Uh, Virginia, in a world where there is nothing else that is real and abiding. No God? Mm. God lives, and he lives forever. A thousand years from now, maybe ten times, uh, ten thousand years from now, he will continue to make glad the hearts of children. Now, if I were to read that to you, besides the part about the fairies, if I were to read that to you, it would almost sound like it came from an apostle. There is a God. He does exist. You can't see him. You could tear, you know, the strongest man could tear back the veil and try to see God and they wouldn't see God. A thousand years from now, 10,000 years from now, he will continue to work in the hearts of his children. That sounds almost scriptural, doesn't it? Just as we anticipate the coming of Christmas, we more anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ again. And when he comes again, he will restore A lot of that disappointment that you have tasted. Whatever you're facing now with disappointment, I would would say this: fix your eyes on Christ. The disappointment is real, but his love, his hope is even more so greater. As we prepare our hearts to close in worship with this last song, this time of worship and communion just reminds us again of the importance of the coming of Christ the first time and the coming of Christ in the future. As Christians, we have an incredible hope. Disappointment will try to extinguish all the joy in you and and remove the hope that you have. We have a reason to rejoice. Emmanuel, our God, is with us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that in this time we've been able to, to gather here to worship you in song and in prayer and in word. And Lord, I pray this morning that as we sing this final song, Lord, that in our hearts we are truly worshiping you, thanking you for who you are and what you have done and what you're going to do in our lives. In our name we pray, amen.